On June 4, 1940, Winston Churchill began to make his way into the House of Commons. You know, I believe he had so much on his heart and in his mind in that moment ready to address members of Parliament because they had just pulled off, Allied forces had just pulled off the greatest escape in modern human history where after the Battle of Dunkirk where the Allied forces uh, escaped on shipping vessels uh, back to Great Britain. But when you think about it, on paper, although they had saved their army, they had just been defeated. And at this time in history, the Nazi war machine looked impossibly strong and impossibly formidable. But on June 4th, in the House of Commons, with only members of Parliament there, Churchill delivered one of his famous speeches that would challenge their very resolve, that would get them in the fight, because they would learn that day that there was no option of surrender, that they were in the fight till the end. He was famously quoted by saying this, We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. He would call the members of parliament to endure in that fight. And in 2 Timothy, we have what I like to think of the Apostle Paul's swan song. It's the last thing he ever wrote to the saints before his death. And I believe, much like Churchill, Paul would challenge Timothy, Timothy and ultimately our resolve. He would call us to the fight. He would call us to faithful endurance. Now, you might be in this room and you might be like, well, I'm a brand new believer. Right? I've been walking with Jesus five minutes. I just in the parking lot, came in here. This is the first thing I did, right? And you may be in here with some, with some mileage on your dashboard. You've been walking with Jesus for a while now. I want to tell you, regardless of what season of life in Christ that you are in, you can know one thing for certain, and that is that you are in a fight today, a fight for your faith. The Bible tells us that we have this enemy in Satan who is on the prowl, looking for whom he would devour. The isolated Christian, the weak in the knees Christian, the immoral believer, the complacent, the apathetic Christian. Even in the world right now, our culture is challenging our worldview. It's inventing a new, quote-unquote, new truth, presenting this alternate reality and converting masses to it. Dear friends in Christ, the Bible tells us even that your flesh is in opposition to the Spirit of God who dwells in, in, who dwells in you. You are in a fight for your faith. Christ Community Church, we are in a fight for our faith. And if we are faithfully to endure to the end, it will require of us that we have a steel spine, unshakable, deeply rooted, but before we dive into the text, I want to give you this foundational truth that will help you uh, look forward to the fight that you are in and where you are headed. And that is this. This is the firm foundation we have. It is the Holy Spirit who steals our spines. 
It is the Holy Spirit who empowers and emboldens, who motivates and transforms us. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us to the end. It is God who guarantees our deliverance and redemption, not our own efforts. Amen? What a truth to sit in. But we are also called to protect and maintain this steel spine of faith that God has given to us. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to expose what we must do in order to faithfully endure in our faith. We labor in a few things. We'll learn from the text that we labor in recalling this gift of faith that we have received. And we labor in rekindling it so that we would not grow complacent or apathetic. So let's begin this morning in maybe a unique way. We're going to start our sermon this morning on memory lane, okay? As we recall this gift of faith. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, everybody say, by God's will. For the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Paul starts this letter by taking a walk down memory lane. And so we must also, if we hope, to faithfully endure. Why do I say that? Because Paul, at this point in history, is suffering for the gospel. He is quite literally in chains, as we will learn as we continue on in 2 Timothy. Now, what we believe is that Paul most likely wrote this letter after the time of the book of Acts was written. When it closes, Paul is imprisoned. And he is waiting what is next. Now this letter, we believe, was written during his final imprisonment, anticipating his martyrdom, his execution. His life was about to end. And this is what he pens. Man, what a difficult circumstance he was in. Anticipating his death, thinking what can steal my spine and help me to faithfully endure? What will help my ministry partners like Timothy also faithfully endure in their circumstance? So as I was studying this text, I started asking that question, man, what, how would Paul faithfully endure his own circumstance? And how is he going to encourage Timothy and ultimately us generations later to steal our spines and to faithfully endure? Well, the answer is, he would start by remembering. Look at verse 1. It says, He was an apostle of Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul starts by remembering his own faith. That it was God's will for him to be saved. And it was God's will for him to live out that salvation by taking this promise of life in Christ to the very ends of the earth. 
And that remembrance of his own faith steals his spine in the circumstance he was currently in. His remembrance of his faith in the work of God would ultimately provoke faithful endurance in his own life. He would carry on and have his head taken from him, literally, without turning his back on Christ. And if this is a good practice for the Apostle Paul, then it is a good practice for his ministry partners like Timothy and ultimately us as well. Which is exactly where he takes us next. In verses 3 through 5, Paul starts to recall the legacy of faith that Timothy received and embraces himself. He says this, I remember you in my prayers. I remember your tears. I recall your sincere faith. First lived in your grandmother Lois, then your mama Eunice, and now I'm convinced in you. Mama is the southern interpretation of that text. Sorry about that. comes out. I recall this legacy of faith that you have inherited, I think provokes this question. How does remembering our faith and, our, and the legacy of faith we've received steal our spines for faithful endurance? How does remembering our faith and the legacy of the faith we've received steal our spines for faithful endurance? I think it does three key things in the heart of the believer. Recalling our faith humbles us. Recalling our faith brings joy to us. And it motivates faithful efforts. And I would say all three of these things kind of sit under the umbrella of gratitude and thanksgiving. Ultimately, these things provoke thanksgiving, right? But more specifically, it humbles us, it brings joy to us, and it motivates faithful effort. So why does it humble us? It reminds us first that the faith that we have is not of our own doing. It is not of our own intellect. We don't believe in Jesus, friends, simply because we made a better decision than the next person. We don't believe in Jesus simply because we're maybe smarter than the next person. That's not what the Bible says about our faith. Or why we believe. We believe, Christ Community Church, because God has given us the gift of faith. Ephesians 2.8 expresses it this way. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. He's given it to us. A prideful heart believes that salvation comes by personal righteousness or self-righteousness. That I am in Christ because I made a good call and I do these things. That's where a prideful heart sits. But a humble heart affirms not righteousness of our own, but that God has put his own righteousness in the believer's heart. And when we see God more clearly and his gift more clearly, man, it humbles us. Because we start seeing ourselves more clearly. And you know what I see in myself? I don't deserve any of that. Why, God, did you choose me? Why did you give me this gift? I'm not worthy of that kind of thing. But it is God's initiative that saves mankind. Not our own. Recalling our faith also 
I think, humbles us when we remember that faith is an inheritance that has been passed on to us. I remember growing up really fascinated by the idea of a family tree, right? I remember going to my grandmother's house and like, hey, where, who, who are we? Where do we come from, right? She pulls out this big, uh, you know, the papers they like tape to get together and it's like this big, the old printer paper stuff. Um, and it had the, the, the curry and then my other grandma had the Grogan family tree. And it traced us back, and on the Grogan side, we go back, just my middle name alone goes back like 500 years to every male ever born in our family has the same name. All three of my kids have the same middle name as well. On the other side, we learned that, hey, we came uh, from Ireland in the 1800s, settled in Kentucky, uh, dabbled in some um, spirits, if you will, (laughs) and then made our way to Texas. Uh, On the Grogan side, I learned that, hey, My uh, great-great-great-granddad was a wicked man who spent most of his life in prison. He carried a uh, six-shooter on his hip and used it. And he beat my grandmother um, and was an alcoholic his whole life. That his son, my great-great-granddad, inherited that same rich inheritance from his dad and likewise was an alcoholic and an abuser of women. And then his son carried on in the same manner. And then that's where my granddad, one day, bagging groceries at United Grocery Store, or I think it was Piggly Wiggly back then, uh, bagging groceries at Piggly Wiggly, a man stopped and shared his faith with him when he was 17 years old and invited him to a Billy Graham um, what were those things called? Crusade. Thank you. It's like C word. Uh, crusade. And it changed the trajectory of his life and the trajectory of our family's life. What a rich inheritance that I have gotten to receive from them. Dear Christian, you need to know that you come from a rich inheritance, a rich history of faith of people pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you may have, like me, received this inheritance from family where your grandmother, your grandfather, your parents invested in you, poured into you, read the Bible to you, prayed for you, shared the gospel with you, pleaded with you to repent and believe. And if that is you, recall the inheritance you have received. But you might be like my granddad who didn't get that. He received an inheritance of wickedness, but he received an inheritance of faith from someone who was faithful. It might have come to you by a coworker or a friend or a random person on the street or in the seats at a church. Wherever you received that faith inheritance, recall it. Because it will humble you knowing this. That it was God's will to send those people into your life to share the promise of life in Christ with you. And recalling our faith humbles us deeply. But it also brings joy. You know, do you you ever look at your spouse sometimes, maybe when they're not paying attention, and you just kind of remember your little love story with them, right? How it all started? Um, I do that. I'm, I'm a romantic. Sometimes I look at my bride when she's not paying attention. She's looking away right now. Um, 
and I, and I think about, man, how far have we come, right? Where, where did we start? Man, we started, our little love story started, we were 14 years old in a communications class at Cedar Hill High School. And I just think about that, like me laying my hair back on her desk and her running her fingers through my hair, and that's where it all began. I used to have long hair back then. And man, it stirs up delight when I recall those memories. It stirs up joy. I have joy in seeing how far the Lord has brought both of us. When we recall our faith stories, it stirs up joy. You can be sure of this, friends. You have grown and matured each year walking with Jesus. And some years, quite frankly, feel better than others. You feel farther than other years. But God is the one who guarantees the growth. And one key area of growth I think that we grow in specifically is we grow more confident in the Lord's abilities and not our own. And the more confident we are in Christ, the more joy is in our hearts. Because then we begin to delight in abiding in him. Like John 15, Jesus says, um, abide in me and I in you. And at the end of the section, he says, my joy will be made complete in you when you abide in me and I in you. Man, recalling our faith in Christ, growing more confident in his abilities, really stirs up joy in our hearts. And recalling our faith lastly, I think it motivates faithful efforts. So to tie these three things together, I think it's worthwhile for our church specifically to walk down memory lane for a moment. Maybe to ask the question, who are we and where did we come from, Christ Community Church? Let me give you a a little bit of the history if you're new here. In 2018, Grace Bible Church, with a heart for our community uh, to see the gospel move forward and move farther than what they had the capacity to do themselves, made a decision to support a church plant. And, and you know, knowing the history of Grace Bible Church, I'm, I'm sure that they made this decision and called Stephen and many of us other uh, folks out with, on the backdrop of the memory of when they were sent out by Temple Bible Church in 2006 to plant in Killeen, Texas. I don't think they ever lost that memory of faithfulness. And so they sent 30 adults to start a work in Harker Heights. And early on in the life of our church, I can tell you, uh, our elder board began to pray for and work towards this idea of gospel saturation in Bell County. I remember Stephen bringing us to uh, a version of that to us. Uh, we, We called the Y strategy back then. We want to be a part of the YMCA, we want to be coaching there, we want to be fully invested there. Our people all there, all the time, right? Raise your hand if you've had a Y membership in the last five years. All right, yes and amen. Right, that's all out of the, the Y strategy, but that, that dream began to grow further as we started to think about our county and our city And the idea of gospel saturation simply is this. Man, we want to see the gospel and gospel works moved out in our county so it's hard for darkness to settle. We want to be a people about that. About that vision. About that mission. Accomplished through our values as a church. The pulpit, the table, and the square. But here's the thing that we need to understand. Anytime... A church sends faithful servants of Christ out. It comes with a cost. In our history, GBC was willing to pay the cost. 
And the same was true for Paul when he sent Timothy out. It was hard. Why? Verse, one, uh, verse 2, he thinks of Timothy as a son. But it's that interpersonal relational richness that underscores how the Christian faith is passed on to others. It starts with deep roots and strong ties. And then we, and then we send one another out to faithful work. I think, church, we're, too, going to have to ask the question soon. Are we willing to launch others to send others out for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to faithfully endure with this kind of heart of gratitude that Paul is talking about? For Paul, thanksgiving stoked the fires of his faith as he had recalled what the Lord had done, and it fueled his intercession for Timothy in prayer. If we desire faithful endurance, we must be a people who recall our faith individually, but we must be a people who are humbled by the work of Christ, filled by joy and the confidence of what he accomplishes, and let the Lord use those memories to motivate faithful efforts. But Paul here in the text, he doesn't just stop, stop with remember. He moves forward in saying we must rekindle our faith. Look at verses 6 through 7. Here's what it says. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. This past week, I had some guys over at my house for a time of fellowship. And man, we had the fire pit going, right? Yes and amen, y'all. Fans of fire pits, right. One guy brought a pit. He brought the fire pit. Another guy brought a basket of wood and kindling. And then another had a lighter. And we all enjoyed our time in the warmth. But I'd be lying if I told you that all we really had to do to get a good fire was to take that steel drum, dump some wood in it, and wish it hot. That's not how fires work. No, the fire had to be started. It had to be stoked. Wood had to be added. And to be honest, even a few times, we just dumped some lighter fluid on that bad boy. (laughs) Made it real hot. The foundation of faithful endurance is a recalling of the faith that God has given you through the legacy of others. That's like the fire starting. But then it's also an invitation to stoke the fires of faith, or as Paul says, rekindle it. I think, I believe this in my bones, that the two most dangerous things that we can do in the Christian life is become complacent and apathetic. To become negligent and uninterested when it comes to our faith. By God's grace, cling to this truth. By God's grace, the fire of your faith cannot be snuffed out. But it won't radiate a lot of heat if you're not active in it. Others will not feel the effect of your delight in the Lord if you're not active in your faith. We must labor in rekindling. Kind of reminds me of the story of Nehemiah. God had called Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. You know, several, many years before that, Babylon had come through and sacked the city. That they had crushed the walls, they had destroyed the temple, and they had taken the people into exile back to Babylon. 
And this is where Nehemiah finds himself under the command uh, or under the, the reign of a Babylonian emperor. And God called Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild these walls. So Nehemiah, he made this plan. He returned with materials, with manpower, what he needed to be faithful to God's calling on his life. And then they began to build. But they did not build with a complacent spirit. They were active. They were engaged. In fact, when they faced opposition and their lives were threatened, they still went up on that wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, rebuilding that wall actively and vigilantly. A steel spine is required for faithful endurance, and we must tend to it. So how do you labor in rekindling your faith? How do you stoke the fire of your faith so you burn red hot? I think there are four key things that we can labor in uh, to combat the natural, sinful tendency to drift towards complacency and apathy. I call them the four B's. And many of you have heard me talk about this in the past, but I think it's worthwhile to revisit. Four key things anybody who believes in Christ and follows Christ can do that will help them to be active in their faith, and they will grow. You can't help but grow when you do these four things. The first is be in the Word. The greatest tool that we have to stoke the fires of our faith is God's very words. This is what the Bible says about itself. It makes us wise for salvation. It tells us who our God is, who we are, what we need. It instructs us in the knowledge of good and evil. It provides for us, James says, wisdom from above. 2 Timothy 4 says, uh, or 3 says, it teaches, it corrects, it rebukes, it trains for righteousness. John 16 and 17, Jesus talks about how the Holy Spirit uses it to sanctify us. We must be mastered by it. We must be a people about the word of God. So what do we do specifically? Well, one, we make a plan to be in it. What to read, how to meditate, what it looks like to be diligent in application. You... you if you weren't here for an announcements, but you already heard it, man, our church puts out a plan every year. Five days a week. One chapter a day. Be in the word. Fight for that time. Make a plan. Stick to it as best as you can. But trust that the Lord uses it and will use it to transform you. If you want to steal spine, if you desire to endure faithfully to the end, Grab hold of the word of God and hide it in your heart. That's the word. The second thing is to be in prayer. I think prayer reveals humility and dependence in a believer. We are utterly dependent upon God for all things. All of life, all of godliness, we are dependent on him for understanding, for joy, for peace, for wisdom, for intimacy in our relationship with God. We're dependent upon him for every physical need in our life as well. Everybody take a deep breath real quick. That air was given to you by God himself. You live because he says so. There is no independence in our being. We are wholly dependent upon God. 
And when we look at the example of Christ in the, in the Gospels, man, we see that he himself had this deep value for prayer and fellowship with the Father. So what do we do? We make a plan for prayer. I remember a few years ago feeling like, man, like my prayer life is just kind of weak, right? And one of the things that I'm big on is understanding the natural rhythms that are in your life. Like a commute to work is a rhythm that happens every day. And so back then I was traveling some distance for work. And so I was like, you know what? When I'm in the car, I'm going to pray. And then I put it, brought into the car the things that I was going to pray around and about, right? My family, my wife, and my relationship with her, the church, so on and so forth. I literally mapped out how am I going to focus my prayers? And what's the most opportune time where I'm least distracted, where I can really engage in this? And that was going to be in the car for me at that season of my life. For you, make a plan for prayer. Look at the natural rhythms of your life. Consider the need to cultivate humility and dependence through prayer, through appealing to the Father. You be in the Word, you be in prayer, but also be in fellowship. What we're doing this morning is what we call corporate worship. Corporate worship, which we, as a value, our church talks about it as the pulpit. Um, it, it holds us fast to the confession of our hope, that we hope in Jesus Christ and what his work is and what he's coming to do. When we gather together, when the saints gather together to worship him, we hold fast to that hope together, Hebrews 10 tells us. Steel spine faith requires, or faithful endurance requires community. It requires it. Friends, we need the songs of our God and people sung into our ears. We need the word proclaimed. We need the ordinances of communion and baptism to stir us up in faithfulness. We need the intercession of one another. And more specifically, church, we need to grow together. We must grow together. And that takes being known by and knowing Others having strong ties with one another, a closeness that is sweet. Now, you heard a little bit about it in the announcements this morning, but our church has opportunities for you to engage in deep and rich community through community groups and discipleship groups. Community groups is for your whole family, discipleship groups is for men and women to lock arms together and to walk forward together to study God's word collaboratively where transparent relationships can be cultivated so that by the time you PCS or if you're like us, us townies we endure a PCS season when all our friends leave and you will have grown in that season of your life so if you just got here roll up your sleeves and jump in it's time if you got three months left it's never too late let's do it let's get it going let's grow in our faith alongside other believers that's the third b the fourth b is this be an accountability we desperately need transparent relationships with other believers who are going the same direction we want to go who can call us to remember and to rekindle our faith just like paul does here with timothy we need other believers in our lives to stir us up towards love and good works and faithfulness.
You cannot do this in your own power and by yourself. You weren't even designed for it. But boy, don't we believe that lie? It creeps in. Oh, the shame. I don't want what to, what if I trust that person? How am I going to be received? It'll keep you stuck. And you will not grow. It'll keep you stagnant. But when you just walk into a room, you build a relationship with another person. And over time, you start to expose those things out. And they start to see them. And they do it with you. And then you go to God's word to minister it to one another's hearts. Man, God does something supernatural in that relationship. And he will make you more like his son through it. God has given us what we need to endure to the end. The spirit and from the spirit, love and, and power and sound judgment. Power for boldness in your faith. Love for intercession for others. Sound judgment for wisely navigating this broken world. Christ Community Church, we are in a fight for our faith. We cannot surrender. Let us, church, endure faithfully with steel spines and a vision for gospel saturation in our city and in the world, holding fast to the hope of our salvation, Jesus Christ, who guarantees, friends, 